What a special treat it is to have uh, all of you young people blessing us with your gifts this day. It's so awesome. It's so awesome uh, that you would decide to be here with us uh, way up here in the Copper Country uh, when you could be home on your summer vacation. Uh, we are so uh, truly blessed by your presence, so thank you very much. Grace and mercy and peace be with all of you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Since Easter, here at St. Peter and Paul, we have been focusing on what we have called the aftershocks of Easter. That is, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was the most significant, shocking event in all of history. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changed the course of history. It changed everything. And after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there continued to be what we could call aftershocks of this great shock of the resurrection of Jesus. You see, for 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus continued to appear. Jesus did not just disappear after his resurrection. As I said last week, sometimes people get confused by these events and they think Jesus died and then he rose from the dead and then poof, he just was gone or something. You Lutheran school students know better than this, right? Jesus died, he rose from the dead, and then for 40 days he appeared to his people proving his resurrection. And then one day, as we talked about last week, Jesus was with his disciples and he led them to a hillside where he continued to teach them. And then he commanded them, the scriptures say, to go to Jerusalem and remain in Jerusalem until the promise of the Holy Spirit would come upon them and they would be clothed with power from on high and receive that promised Holy Spirit. And then Jesus said to them, when you receive my spirit, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So those disciples, they did listen to Jesus, and they actually did obey his command. You see, they went to Jerusalem, which was actually pretty convenient for them at this time because it was the celebration of the Pentecost. Pentecost uh, literally means 50th day. Pentecost means 50th day. And in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, it was commanded that the Jews should gather together 50 days after the Passover to celebrate this one-day harvest festival called Pentecost. So if you remember, 50 days ago was Holy Week, was the, the last week of Jesus' life, right? And so that's why there were so many crowds gathered in Jerusalem for the last week of Jesus' life, because they were together for the Passover, a seven-day festival. And then they're supposed to come back, and so 50 days later, probably a lot of the same people just like the disciples, came back to Jerusalem. And that's why you get these people from all these different regions gathered together to celebrate this event, the Pentecost. I want to show you a quick video uh, from the folks over at the Bible Project. Um, it's a great online resource if you haven't seen it before, uh, kind of giving a brief description of the events here in Acts chapters 1 and 2. Take a look at this. <laughs> One of the earliest accounts about Jesus of Nazareth, his life, death, and resurrection, was written by a man named Luke. We know it as the Gospel of Luke, but Luke continued the story in a second volume. 
called the Book of Acts, and it's all about what Jesus continued to do after his resurrection. Acts begins with the disciples who are hanging out with Jesus, who's just come back to life, which is mind-blowing to imagine. And then for weeks, the risen Jesus kept teaching them about his upside-down kingdom, the new creation that he launched through his death and resurrection. This is exciting stuff, and the disciples are ready to go tell the world. But then Jesus tells them to wait and to stay in Jerusalem until they receive a new kind of power so they can be faithful witnesses to Jesus and his kingdom. Then he says that their mission is going to begin in Jerusalem, then move out to Judea and Samaria, and then from there out into the nations. It's like a roadmap for the whole book of Acts. Then the disciples saw Jesus enthroned as king of all creation. So the disciples wait, wondering when this power is going to come. And then comes the time of Pentecost. So this is an ancient Israelite festival. It's during the early summer, and thousands and thousands of Jewish pilgrims would come back to Jerusalem from all over the world, all these different languages and cultures colliding in the city. And the disciples are together in a house, which is suddenly filled with rushing wind along with fire. Fire splinters off into tongues of fire hovering over people's heads. What's this all about? Yeah, so Luke is tapping into a repeated Old Testament theme. When God's presence showed up similarly at Mount Sinai, he made a covenant with Israel and gave them the Ten Commandments. Then later, when God's glory came in a pillar of fire, it filled the tabernacle when he came to live among them. That was just one pillar of fire, not many. Exactly. Luke's making an important point here. This is God's personal temple presence, God's spirit that was foretold by Israel's prophets. And now it's come to take up residence in the new temple of Jesus' body, that is, his people. They've become little mobile temples where God now dwells. And they start to tell stories about Jesus, but they're speaking in languages that they didn't know before, yet all the visitors can understand them. What's this all about? Well, Peter gets up to explain that this is the fulfillment of Israel's hopes based on the scriptures. God's plan was always to use the unified family of Abraham to bring peace and justice to the world. But the tribes of Israel had been scattered because of the exile. Now here at Pentecost, representatives from all of the tribes come back together and they're introduced to their Messiah, the crucified and risen Jesus, so they can now become the restored people of Israel. And thousands of them start following the way of Jesus. Which brings us to Luke's tale of peace. I love that, I love that image of the, the tongues of fire coming to rest upon the heads of the disciples. I don't know about you, but uh, when I was growing up and going to Sunday school, and I, I, I never could really wrap my mind around this story. I would see it in, in picture books or in you know, childhood movies of, of these, just even like that, these tongues of fire. And I don't know, I, I, I think maybe even as a kid, I couldn't get over that word tongue. You know, I would think, what is it? What is a tongue of fire, you know? And what's this, what's this going on above these disciples' heads? So what did, what did the video point out? I just want to reiterate the point. What is the situation here? What's the image that we should be seeing? In the Old Testament, when fire shows up, combined with the Word of God, that is a significant thing, and it demonstrates the presence of God being there. Right? The tabernacle, that movable temple. Tabernacle in Hebrew literally means dwelling place. So in the tabernacle, in that pillar of fire, in God's word, God promised that there he was present. There he was making himself available. There the people could see and experience God themselves. So you know, if I were to ask you, where is God's house 
Where's God's house? What, I wonder what you would say. Up in the sky, Silas, that's what you would say? That's a good answer, bud. A lot of people, I think, would even point, right, like here, maybe, to the church. Some people would say, yeah, this is God's house, right? The, the church, the congregation is, is God's house when people gather together. And, and that's true. That's true. This is, this is God's house. But why is it God's house? Because his people are here. His people are here who believe in him, who have been filled with the Holy Spirit, and they are gathered together to hear his word and to receive his sacraments and to have that word of forgiveness. That's why God is here. But is God limited to this place? Absolutely not. Where does God go? What was the point of the tongues of fire upon the disciples' heads? is that those who have been filled with the Holy Spirit, those who believe in Jesus, are like portable, movable temples of the Almighty God who have been clothed with the power from on high to go wherever it is that you go with the full power of God and the full power of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Maybe you've heard that before. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Just think about that for a minute. You are a temple. You are the place where God has said, I want to be. You are in your bodies, you, every one of you. You, in all of your imperfections, in all of the things that the world says, oh, you are not qualified. You're not all that good. God says, yes, you are. You, with your broken bricks and your crumbling foundations, you who feel like you're wearing out or are worn out, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. The full power of the Almighty God dwells within you because God desires to take up residence in you. So if that's true, what does that mean for your life? Well, one thing is obvious. The promise of Jesus is true when he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. For you are mine. It's true. If, if God desires to dwell within you, wherever you go, there he is. He will never leave you nor forsake you because you are his dwelling place. It's his promise to you. But if you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, how should you treat your body? In all practical aspects, you should desire to be as physically healthy in this life as you can possibly be. Why? Because God desires to live within you, to move within you, to go within you with that full power of the good news of Jesus Christ. He needs you to be well and to be healthy so that you can go places and do things with your body. And your body, including your lips, should be ready at all times to speak of the hope that you have in Jesus Christ our Lord. Continuously ready to share with the world that hope that your Savior, your Jesus, is your living King, and he is ruling 
and he is reigning now and forever. We've been talking about the aftershocks of Easter for the last six weeks, the aftershocks of Easter. And those aftershocks of Easter are still rippling today. Do you feel it? Do you feel it? Jesus is alive. He rose from the dead. Right now, Jesus is ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father. It may seem to you that things are out of control. It may seem right now that your life is in a deep darkness. It may seem that the illness that has its hand upon your life is taking control. I promise you that Jesus is powerful over all of those things, and most notably, he's powerful over death itself. If Jesus is powerful over death, what is he not powerful over? My friends, my friends, Jesus is alive, ruling and reigning, and those aftershocks of Easter are at work because the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And he has clothed you with power from on high. And the Holy Spirit is constantly at work in your life, constantly knocking on your door, constantly pulling you back to the good news of salvation and love and forgiveness that can only be found in our Savior Jesus Christ. My friends, I want you to know this today. To those of you who are here who confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you do have the Spirit of the living God fully within you. Every one of you, no matter your age, your race, your imperfections, the full power of the Holy Spirit is in you. In you. In you. And so you go boldly into this world with the good news of Jesus ever on your lips. Not for your sake, but for the sake of this lost and broken world who so desperately needs to hear of the hope that we confess in Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, Peter on that Acts 2 day, on that day of Pentecost, Peter, you know Peter? Peter stood up amongst all the people Peter started proclaiming. It's the, the first post-resurrection sermon that was ever preached. And Peter just, he stands up in the streets and starts talking, starts proclaiming the good news of Jesus. You know who Peter was? Just a fisherman. Never had theological training. He never went to Lutheran school. Right? He just spent time with Jesus. And the full power of the Holy Spirit was upon him. So you and I go into this world just as regular people, but with the full power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. I pray that you go and do not be silent. You are not the only ones to be saved. Go and speak the name of Jesus until the whole world hears. That video mentioned, it mentioned that the, the promise of salvation originated in that, uh, in that family of Abraham. Right? A united family of Abraham. As a church, at, beginning next week, um, Saints Peter and Paul, we're going to begin a new sermon series for the summer months on the book of Genesis. We're going right back to the beginning where it all started. 
And we will see on that Father's Day that our Father in heaven created us and he loved us. And we're going to study throughout the, the months of, or the weeks of summer, Genesis chapters 1 through 25. So if you're a good academic type and you want to read ahead, we're going to be right where it all begins next week in Genesis chapter 1. So you can read that in advance if you would like. For now, go in God's grace and in his peace and with the full power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, his chosen, dearly loved people. In Jesus' name, amen.